0: The whole goal of salespeople is to productively disrupt our prospect and our customers' day.
1: I guest today is Lauren about manager of self-development at Snowflake in the vertical of manufacturing, retail, and CPG. She was a top-performing SDR at Snowflake, specialized in strategic accounts in the same verticals.
0: If you throw a big chunk of words at me, I'm not going to read any of it. You know, you're already reaching out. I have no idea who you are. You're asking something of me. Maybe you're cluing me in on something that's happening within my organization.
1: And today we are going to talk about why Lauren was so successful in her SDR role. She brings to the table a diverse range of experiences. Lauren is a firm believer in the power of A-B testing. And we're going to talk also about the value of understanding our prospects' psychology. Lauren. Uh, Your background is pretty diverse uh, from operations to marketing and people leadership. How have these different roles shaped your strategies and helped you being successful in your SDR role?
0: Yeah, I think for kind of touching on all of those different things, I think marketing and having my experience there really taught me about how to meet my prospect, how to meet my customer, where they're at, how to speak to them, how to speak to them in their language. Sometimes that's different, um, especially depending upon where they're at in their buying journey, that might look a little bit different for them. Um, And so for marketing, that really, it really allowed me to step into their shoes and think the way that they were thinking. And that is, you know, that helped me obviously in my SDR role so much. Um, But very similarly for people leadership, you know, as a manager, a previous manager and also a manager currently at Snowflake, there's no one standard way to manage somebody. Everybody is different. They like to be managed in different ways. They think different things motivate them, different things resonate with them, different things, um, you know, upset them as well. And so I think thinking about that when you are talking to your prospect, talking to your customer, that really comes in handy. There's no one correct way that you should be talking to every single person. There's definitely a recipe as to you know what could make you the most successful. But I think being able to pick up on those clues, whether it be from a prospect or a customer, read their body language, be able to feel whether or not they're resonating with what you're putting down, and either be able to continue on that path or be able to pivot based off of whether or not they're being receptive or not, um, really taught me, you know, a lot about, again, kind of all coming together, learning about my prospect and how to talk to them in the way that they wanted to be talked to.
1: How do you know that, for example? Because I imagine, like you you said, you have a lot of different people you are talking about. So can you give an example on how you use that, for example, uh, as Snowflake?
0: Yeah, I mean, you think about when you call somebody, for example, and, um, you know, they're they're hopping into a meeting and they tell you, hey, I don't have a lot of time. Um, What is it that you need? You know, there are certain things that you can pick up on what your prospect is saying, not just the way that they're saying it, but their actual words. Um, And they go hand in hand. A prospect might be telling you, hey, I'm hopping into a meeting. You have two minutes. But if they've extended over that two minutes and they're continuing to ask you questions and they're showing and expressing interest, there's a difference there, right? In what they're saying and what they're actually doing. And so I think being able as an SDR to pick up on those and not, you know, ask permission, yes, but continue to, to give them what it is that they need in that moment, I think is what, you know, matching urgency is really what makes you successful as an SDR.
1: I know also when we are preparing the episode, you were talking about uh, you just before joining Snowflake, you were a uh, um, director of operations. So you are a lot focused on optimization, actually, of processes. So how do you think uh, you transfer your skills from this world to the zero
0: I mean, I think that you know, kind of pivoting off of what I said, you know, every single person wants to feel special. Um, they want to feel like you've taken time to research them, you've spelled their name correctly, you understand their role, what they what they're looking for, their pains, and you know how to get ahead. And so, I think taking that, but also learning that. You can't spend 25 minutes writing an email to every single person and finding that balance of being like, okay, I need to scale this or whatever this might be, whether it's an email or you know it's a call block or it's LinkedIn messages, but also being able to add those personal touches in, I think that's the secret sauce. you know. And so for me as an SCR, what I would do is I would pick a very specific industry or maybe a department within an industry, like getting very, very specific. And I would write a very tailored message to somebody. Maybe they were in marketing. Maybe they, maybe they were in loyalty. Maybe they were in, you know, demand generation. And going into each individual person and personalizing it based off of a couple of keywords, demonstrating that I understood what it was that they cared about and what it was that they were focused on and what drove them, but still having a very similar message that I was sending to every single person just by changing a couple of words. I think for me, that was what where I really found success um in optimizing my workflow, you know, trying to get more numbers out, but also still making every person feel like they're special
1: and uh, you mentioned loyalty, for example, um human generation as a better person as you're going after. So what would be the difference between, for example, loyalty and human generation?
0: Yeah, you know, so for somebody with loyalty, you want to be looking at you know, what it is that that individual person has been clicking on, you know, what it is that they are uh, purchasing, you want to be able to provide them very tailored suggestions and recommendations based off of their buying purchase or buying history, purchase history. Um, You know, especially if they're in a loyalty program, they want to feel again, like they're special. So they want to be getting promotions, they want to be getting exclusive access, think peaks, maybe they also want to be you know, um, giving their opinion back, whereas demand generation, it probably, you know, loyalty definitely fits in there. You know, you're, you're generating that demand with a very specific subset of people who have signed up and opted in, you know, these people that are in a loyalty program. But with demand generation, you also might be marketing to people that are completely cold, who have never used your product, who have no idea what it is that you do. And so you might have to cast a wider net there. Um, You might have to try different marketing tactics, whereas with loyalty, you have some type of historical data to kind of work off of. And so knowing that, the message can be pretty different um, depending on, you know, what subset of customer your customer is going after, for example.
1: Yeah, and I think it's super important when you are reaching out because you need to... Understand your prospect, uh, not journey, sorry, but the prospect world because you want to to be really specific about the word you are using. I think when I started, I think as an EZR, the the big mistake I was doing is thinking that, um, for example, if you reach out to an HR, you are selling a product for HR leaders, and you think the VP of HR uh, is going to resonate with the same messaging as the director of talent acquisition, or for example, the uh, HR operations leader, and uh, and those, you need to understand the, their, their world to be really specific on that. I mentioned that you, you are focused on retail, uh, manufacturing and CPG, so what do you think is the difference, for example, to prospect those industries uh, versus other industries?
0: Yeah, you know, I think, first of all, I think no matter what industry you're working in, I think you have to have some type of knowledge over what it is that, you know, whatever industry you're going into. Um, when you're selling a product, you're almost positioning yourself, if you're, you know, as an, an, an industry expert, essentially. And so you need to be able to not only know what's going on in their industry, but you also have to understand the pains, the trends. Um, you know, what drives them, what their competitive advantage is over some of their biggest competitors. Uh, you also have to be able to understand, you know, how your product is better or competes or complements some of the other, you know, products that, that are out there on the market. So first and foremost, I think no matter what industry or you're going into vertical, you're going into, you're selling into, you have to have that enhanced knowledge Um, But, you know, I also think that there's, you know, kind of going back to what we were talking about around, you know, a very specific subset, there are so many different sub verticals within an industry. So you think about manufacturing, you have the run of the mill manufacturers, you also have oil and gas, you have energy, you know, you have so many different areas and opportunities. Those also within retail CPG, you also have manufacturers. So you know, you have to know a little bit about what it is in every facet of the business that you are going into. Um, And I would say, you know, for, for retail CPG and also for manufacturing, I would say there's a little bit of a crossover there, right? You know, at the core of what every company is doing, they're essentially a manufacturer. If they are manufacturing a service, if they're manufacturing a product, essentially they are producing something, which is what makes them a manufacturer. Um, And then a retail CPG, you know, I think that depends, you know, if they are CPG specifically, if they're, they're marketing a consumer good, you know, I think that that might look a little bit different than if they're marketing more of a service. However, you have both of those facets of any business. There's, they're working on perfecting their product, which is that manufacturing side of things. And then you have the selling of that product and the marketing of that product, which Could be retail, could also be, you know, a consumer good. Um, But I think being able to know the trends and stay ahead of them, because sometimes your customers and your prospects don't even know that they have a need for your product because they're not as familiar with your product as you are. And again, that kind of brings it back to being an industry expert. Um, You know, if you're ahead on the trends and what's going on and you can offer your customers and prospects that competitive advantage over everybody else that they're competing with on the market, that's really where you can set yourself as, apart from, from anybody else that's selling something similar.
1: Yeah, and I was asking you this question because I think um, right now, I'm I'm working in the same space as you, so going after the data leaders, um, so we are, uh, the team is pretty small yet on the sales team, so it's not like we have like a specific industry for each sales person or SDR on the team. So it, for me, sometimes it's hard to understand really the impact of data, for example, on a specific industry. So, uh, because I think the the main industry we're going after is SaaS, then we have retail. Uh, I think it's the second, uh, uh, yeah, the second industry for us, but it's, you're not going to talk about the same pain points, for example, because a data leader in SaaS will be uh, concerned about other uh, changes than uh, someone in retail. So, for example, um, for Snowflake, so let's say, can can you give an example of a prospect you are going after? How did you think about the, the, the pain they were facing and how did you... Address that in your messaging.
0: For example, with a retailer, um, you know, some of the types of calibers of companies that we're going after might be, you know, household names like Nike or Adidas or Lululemon, and um, they are working with complete different goals. You might have a company who is very, very focused on e-commerce and is working on growing the digital side of their business. And that might be how you decide to approach one of those companies, say, for example, Nike. However, you might have a company who has a very similar business model, who has very similar customers, in fact, maybe even the same customer, but they're not necessarily focused on that e-commerce side. Maybe they're focused on more of the in-store experience and driving their customers back into the store and being able to have them have, you know, a personalized experience. And so I think being able to not only know what the market trends are doing right now, which, you know, kind of falls back on the digital, it falls back also back on that store experience, but also knowing, you know, what it is that your specific prospect or customer is going after. That's really, again, kind of going back, and I hate to beat a dead horse, but it's really where you can make yourself that industry expert. You know, you're not going to go to someone who's focused on growing their e-commerce business and talk to them about how they can diversify, you know, their suppliers or their vendors or their third party distributors, that's just not going to resonate with them. Um, So I think, you know, there's, again, same very similar customer, but and very similar, you know, business model, but they might be focused on complete different things.
1: And how do you know, for example, if they are focusing on e-commerce? Do you read uh, 10K annual reports or stuff like that, or what do you?
0: I get very ruthless when it comes to figuring out, you know, what it is that they're focused on. I read 10K reports. Um, I I listen to earning reports. I sit in on earnings calls. Um, you know, I think one of the big things that's over, or excuse me, it's underestimated is just the power of Google. You know, when was the last time that you typed in? the name of the actual company you're going after and then initiatives. Um, you know, that I think is incredible. And then going through some of the news articles that you find, you know, by doing so, I think that's a really a really eye-opening experience because not only will that unlock, you know, some of their reported initiatives, but that'll also open your eyes up to, like I mentioned, some of the problems that they might not even yet perceive as problems, but you know by being, you know, some us a, a good salesperson that your product could potentially solve those issues. Also, LinkedIn. LinkedIn's a great way to figure out what their initiatives are.
1: When you say LinkedIn, what do you mean? Do you mean the posts of of your prospect?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Your posts of the product of your actual prospects. Um, You know, I think following that page on LinkedIn is extremely helpful. Seeing what type of webinars they are speaking at, I think is helpful. That's showing you, um, you know, where they're really dumping their time, their energy, their money, um, and where they're deciding to really invest in. I think that that's also huge. Um, And the types of things that they're, you know, people are posting about, and it doesn't necessarily always have to be high level people. You know, you might have an end user going on there talking about how they're frustrated with a certain tool that they're using, or maybe their banner is a certain tool that they're using because, you know, that department is just, you know, a huge champion of that specific product, which will lead into, you know, a specific initiative. So I think LinkedIn is, is very underestimated as well.
1: You, you mentioned, for example, you can find the end user frustrated. Do you prefer to the top-down approach when you're prospecting or the bottom-up approach?
0: If we're getting real, I think all. Oh. I think every top down and bottom up, Um, you know, I think that it's important for you to go to those top, those big guys, those decision makers and go right in and talk to them. Um, But however, I do think that you need to do your research, right? You need to know the pains that their end users, that their teams are experiencing. You need to know, you know, how to position yourself as a way to make them look good, right? Because if you think about your prospect, you know, we're all just at the end of the day, trying to do our jobs and do it the best way that we possibly can. So how can I make my prospect look like a hero? You know, how can I make my prospect, you know, the, the, the greatest guy or girl in the company, because they've brought this specific product in? Um, and they've solved problems that weren't even a bottleneck or hadn't even been, you know, been perceived as a problem for the organization. Um, that's going and doing the research that they might not have time to do. You know, a, a high-level VP might not have time to go to every single, you know, data scientist or every single end user and be able to ask them, you know, hey, what's the biggest point of contention in your workday, or you know, where are you spending the most time? So I think that you know. You have to do both, bottom up as well as top down, in order to really figure out what it is that you, where you can position yourself as the most valuable.
1: Talking to end user, so it's generally the most valuable information I'm getting. Because yes, you can read the 10K, uh, you can, you know, the initiative of the group, but also then you can use also the, the challenges that the, the end user are facing, and then you can tie that to the initiative of the group. And I think it's so much easier when you talk to to a VP. Uh, talking about that because you know you understand what the VP is trying to achieve but you know also that this team or her team is struggling uh, with X uh, problem for example.
0: Exactly and then I think it's just delivering that information in a beautiful way where you don't seem like you are you know you know everything about their company. You're kind of going in and still continuing to be inquisitive and be curious and ask them. But knowing that you have this knowledge where you can fit in and solve a lot of their gaps, perceived or unperceived, um, I think that's the secret sauce.
1: Something also that I know you are really passionate about is A-B testing. So how do you use A-B testing uh, to improve your results? And can you give us some examples on things that you are A-B testing?
0: to be completely honest with you, I think everything should be A-B tested. Um, and it all comes down to, uh, we can obviously go into some of the different things, but I think it all comes down to being able to control what you can control and letting go of the things that you can't. If you've A-B tested something, even if you've gotten extremely great results on it, you know whether or not you can control the results of it. And in you know such a fickle industry like sales, You know, there is so much that we can't control. So focusing on what you can, I think, and being able to explain why is so imperative. Um, Some of the things that IAB tested was adding in a prospect's first name into a subject line. I think that that absolutely has been used. However, if you find success, test it. See why you find success on that. Um, I think one of the things that I really, you know, would do as an SCR and encourage my team to do now is to add a question mark into a subject line. You know, people, and this kind of goes back to, you know, my marketing experience, people have an inherent need to want to help people. And so if you are asking a question, you're more asking them for something. You're And it, it might not even be something large, but you're asking something of them. And they want, people want to help subconsciously. Um, so whether or not that's the exact same subject line, it might be, you know, Elric Snowflake Connect versus Alaric, you know, Snowflake connect, I think there could be a difference in open rates there as well. Um, I think time of delivery of emails, time of delivery of LinkedIn messages, time that you are calling your prospects, you know, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, going back on where your customer or prospect is in their, you know, buying journey, maybe a really strong call to action for an existing customer who is, you know, very developed might be more successful, Than a prospect who has absolutely no idea who you are, maybe having a softer call to action, Um, you know, creating urgency versus not, you know, I think pushing a little bit harder versus kind of leaving it open and kind of letting that prospect feel like they have the perception of control over that end, you know, result. Um, So I would say every single thing needs to be A B tested. I think if you can explain what makes you successful, Um, and why. And it's not just like a blanket statement. It's for each individual account, each individual industry. I think that is what's going to make you the most successful salesperson.
1: For example, when you are calling, when you are sending emails, um, what did you try and what did you learn about doing this, for example?
0: At the core of what we're doing as SDRs is we are productively disrupting somebody's day, correct? So, what we're trying to do is we're we're trying to disrupt their day in a way where we say, "Hey, I have something that can help you," or "I know that you have this this problem. Let's talk." And so, what I would generally do is I would send emails, you know, especially at the beginning, at all different times of the day, different emails, all different, you know, messages, lengths of messages. Um, but what I really learned is that again, going back to thinking like a prospect. If you think about what a prospect's day is, and this might even be your day as well, you might, you know, start your day at 8 a.m. And that doesn't mean, you know, you're running in the door to your desk at 8 a.m. It means you're starting your first meeting at 8 a.m. So what are you doing the 10 minutes leading up? Maybe you're grabbing your cup of coffee, you're going to your inbox to make sure, you know, the company hasn't blown up. So, you know, you're scrolling through that and you have that's that that time right there. Where before, you you know, your prospect's boss is asking something of them, before their team is putting time on their calendar, before the entire day starts, that is the most sweetest spot to hit your prospect. Um, People from all ends haven't started asking them for something. They're not needed and being pulled in every direction. So if you can disrupt their day and do it in a productive way, but you can do it in a way that says, hey, I'm here to help. I know how I can help you. Let's meet right before that that day starts that's really what i figured is the most you know the best time to be able to reach a prospect
1: yeah and that's a really good part i think because uh, i think yeah, i've seen two things on, on the right time to contact your prospects more on call email than and linkedin so linkedin uh, i saw for example that I'm rich, for me, I'm prospecting California, but also France and Spain as countries. And um, so, when I'm reaching out to European prospects, here generally I'm getting replies from them when it's like six pm Between six and eight p.m. in Europe, and uh, before generally I don't get replies. And I think it's super important because. Uh, I can't send message for them when it's 8 a.m. Unfortunately, because it's really late for me. But, uh, but I have them after their their work day, and uh, I think it's uh, that's the moment also I need to be available, so on LinkedIn because I need to, to reply to them too quickly. Second thing with emails uh, because you can schedule them, so I try to schedule them right before the 8 a.m. generally, or uh, same like I said after their workday. work day. So. 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. So they can get their email when January they are finishing on their their day.
0: And a couple of things to add there, too. I think the big thing that I stress with my team is not scheduling your emails at a 5 mark. So like not at 750, not at 755. You want to schedule it at like 752, 754. You want to show that even though you're scheduling that email, you're a real person. You're not a bot. You're not just somebody who's mass emailing everything and providing, you know, the the fields to make it seem personalized. Um, The majority of the scheduling tools to send out at that, you know, the zero mark or the five mark. So I think scheduling it on those off times is really important. And then I love what you said about LinkedIn, because if you think about what LinkedIn is, you know, and yes, it's developed into this, you know, incredible platform. But if you think about what it is, it's a social networking platform, right? And so, People are, they're getting off of work, they're commuting home, they're getting on the bus, they're getting on the train, they're getting in their car, and they're checking their social media, they're checking social networking. And so that's thats the sweet spot that you want to be hitting people on LinkedIn um, and specific times throughout the year, right? So summer, the holidays, you know, that's really when people are on vacations, they're taking some time off, but what do they have in their in their hands at all times, their phone, they're on their social media, they're on social networking. So that's why you want to lean into, you know, a platform as such during those specific times. And it it doesn't surprise me that that's when you get more replies. Yeah.
1: And something also I forgot to mention is because um, we are selling to a buyer persona that they're, they're not spending that time on LinkedIn. Uh, so because... Generally, when you are listening to podcasts, um, you have people selling to sales sales leaders and sales. They are more focused. Maybe not a VP of sales. They are not going to spend their their whole time on LinkedIn. But sales people are spending more time on LinkedIn. So maybe you don't need to spend being at 5 p.m. at the time of your prospect on LinkedIn to, to talk to them. Maybe you can do that during the day. So with data leaders, that's what I found really useful.
0: Absolutely. And again, kind of just putting yourself back into your prospect's shoes. You know, if you think about somebody who's high powered, like a VP or even a a senior director, chances are they probably aren't getting every single thing done between Monday and Friday. So kind of going back to the A-B testing, one of the things that I really found successful was sending an email message. And it might just be nothing beefy, you know, but just something small, maybe a bump up on an original message to a VP on a Saturday morning at 9am. You know, they're on their computer, they're wrapping things up before they begin their weekend. That's another really awesome opportunity for you to disrupt their week. It's not traditional, but I've seen a lot of really great results.
1: Uh, That's what I was going to ask. So did you try to send like emails during the weekends, Saturday or
0: Sunday? For the most part, only for those high level people. Um, And it was a scheduled one, right? Like I wasn't on my computer, I was scheduling those out purposefully. Um, and again, like I mentioned, it wasn't anything beefy. I wasn't introducing a new concept. I wasn't sending a first email on Saturday. It was more of like a, Hey, I understand you're busy. This is why I'm sending you an email on Saturday. It's so that I can get your attention from something I previously sent. Um, again, I came from a place where it's like, I want to help you. And I understand that if you are so important, VPs and directors especially, you probably don't have time to finish everything all week. So again, just meeting that prospect right where they're at Um, and sending something like a self-schedule link in my emails and even in my LinkedIn. You know, these VPs and directors, they don't necessarily have time maybe there through 8 to 5 to be able to get everything done. So if I can send them my calendar link and they schedule some time with me, maybe it's at 11 p.m., that works perfectly. Again, as an SDR, it's not on my time, it's on theirs.
1: Exactly. So and just to finish on uh, A-B testing, so something that's not something I was thinking about, the the call to action, that depending on what they are in the journey, I think it's really smart to figure to out Uh, about the way you are asking if it's asking for a meeting so for example you know it's the right timing maybe you will change your call to action but if you don't know where they are you're not going to ask obviously for a meeting so um, can you give us some examples of your call to actions
0: yeah and I think you know to kind of go off of your question too Elric you know I think even if I don't know where they're at I'm still going to ask for that meeting because I'm going in with that intention of hey I have a product. I know my product so well. I know I can help you. I don't, these are the perceived, you know, my hypothesis of need of why I could help you. But I'm also leaving it open to the prospect of like, if there's anything that you want to discuss or areas, bottlenecks in your workflow that you're struggling with, I'm here to help you with that. So um, I think the main thing is, there's a couple of things, but the main thing is creating urgency. And this is what I love to coach my team on is, you are you're going in and you are creating an urgency. And even if you have no idea where that prospect is at in their buyer's journey or if they have budget or if they're the decision maker, you're telling them, hey, you know, something along the lines of we've worked with similar teams on X, y, and z. And this is what we've been able to do for them. Um, again, going off of your hypothesis of need because you've done everything that we've talked about. you've established yourself as, a industry expert, you've done your research, you know what their initiatives are, you know what their pains are. Um, But I think creating urgency to the point where you, your prospect looks at this email and they say, I need to meet with this person. Um, And that could look different based off of like you mentioned, whether it's a prospect or a customer. Um, You know, the language that I use is, I use stronger action verbs for customers, something like, I would love to loop you into the conversations we're having, or I would love to loop you into the projects we've launched within your organization. Um, You know, even if you're working with an organization that has 200 people, there is no way for you to know every single project that's going on behind the scenes. So if I come in and I say, hey, let me help you connect the dots With all of this information that's happening at your company that would be useful to what you're doing, you're setting, again, you're setting yourself up as that industry expert. So, you know, working and thinking about some of the largest Fortune 100, Fortune 50 companies, you know, that have thousands of people, that becomes easier to do because they are so siloed, not just within their data, but also within their departments as well. Um, But I would say for another thing to say for that call to action is you're setting an expectation. And so this is what I, I, I don't love calls to actions where it's like, would you be open to, to setting some time up? I know I'm not a person to ask for permission because if I've established my credibility, if I told them why I want to meet, how I can help them, if I show them that I understand what their job is and what they're doing and what they care about, I shouldn't have to ask for permission. They should be saying, let's meet right now. And I'm saying, great, what time do you want to meet at? So I like to say something along the lines of, you know, instead of signing off like, you know, thank you, I would say something along the lines of looking forward to hearing from you soon. Because that's showing confidently that I know that I'm going to hear from this person because I've put forth such a strong enough message that I know that they're going to want to talk to me.
1: For example, for a call to action where you are ABT seeing a call to action, how many emails do you need to send to say, okay, I know this call to action is working versus uh, another that's not working. So are you sending 50 emails or 100 emails?
0: I come from a background where I was previously an epidemiologist. So I'm very big about sample sizes. Big sample sizes, I think, are better. If you have a small sample size, there's so much more possibility of your results being skewed. So I would say the bare, bare minimum that I'm using for any type of A-B testing is a hundred, whether that is a hundred emails, a hundred messages, a hundred calls. Um, the more data you have to work with, the better your results are going to be.
1: What's the structure of choice, actually?
0: I would say the big thing, because for email specifically, the big thing is you don't want to have a big body of text. You don't want an entire paragraph just sitting somewhere in your email, Uh, especially, you know, going back to what we were talking about when I mentioned that the whole goal of salespeople is to productively disrupt our prospect and our customer's day. If you throw a big chunk of words at me, I'm not going to read any of it. You know, you're already reaching out. I have no idea who you are. You're asking something of me. Maybe you're cluing me in on something that's happening within my organization I'm not going to read this big chunk of words. So what I would say is um, establish first things first, establish a relationship. A day, for example, after a holiday, mention that holiday, you know, uh, hey, happy Independence Day, you know, hope, hope you had a great weekend on Mondays or long weekends. You know, if it's a Friday, hope you're looking forward to the weekend as much as I am. You know, be friendly. You know, the number one thing that you are doing is you're establishing a relationship. And I love to say that even if you hear a no, it doesn't mean no forever. It means a no right now, but that doesn't mean a no tomorrow or a no the next day. So the first thing you're doing is you're establishing a relationship. Do that. Then what I would say is go into talking specifically about, you know, establishing your credibility. Why are you reaching out to this person? Um, What is it that you have to say? Who are you? Introduce yourself. Don't just go right into your pitch. Again, going back on relationship building, you are building a relationship, yes, for your company, but first and foremost for who you are, right? So go into your, you know, your credibility, introduce yourself. Then what I would say is you are going to talk a little bit more about for your customers that's when you work on creating that urgency maybe you've been doing some work with another department that you want to clue them in on maybe you've worked with you know similar teams and have never had a conversation with their organization but you're still establishing how you can help them and why you're reaching out a continuation of why you're reaching out not just to them specifically but in general Um, And then what I would say is, you know, going into your call to action. Um, However, the big thing that I would say throughout all of this is I like to separate my sentences out. Sometimes my sentences might be a little bit longer. They might be one and a half lines, two lines, one line. But I like to have my sentences be pretty parsed. Um, The reason being is because the human eye reads a page, they skim it most of the time. And when they skim a page, or they skim a sentence, they only read the first five to seven words, if that, of a sentence. So what I like to do is I like to front load my sentences, reaching out to you because of this. I'm on the team that supports your company. You, sp- you say that information, the most important information at the front of that sentence and then you, you have very strategic line breaks almost for every sentence that encourage the human's eye to read down that page. Even if they're only reading the first five to seven words of each sentence, they're getting the gist of what that message says. It's going to lead them down to the call to action. Um, and then, you know, making sure there's also other things in there, like making sure you don't have a ton of hyperlinks. I only like to include one, maybe two hyperlinks um i would say the only hyperlink i really like to include in my email messaging is my calendar and it's the availability for that prospect to go in there and schedule some time on my calendar themselves because again it acts like it acts like a call to action it draws their eyes to a piece of text that looks different it's underlined maybe it's a different color it's a, it's basically a call to action in its own
1: Something interesting you mentioned, and I'm go- I was going to ask you uh, about the structure because you are talking about introducing yourself. Uh, that's not something I saw a lot in my previous source because generally it's you have too many accounts and you are not doing this. But here specifically, what you mentioned is, I'm on the team supporting your account, and um, I think it's way different. I think because you are focused on strategic accounts as Snowflake and. uh I think it's where it makes sense to 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 talk about this this way. um and I think that's um that's super important. I imagine in a second because, like you mentioned earlier, uh, you are maybe you're connecting the dot between two teams. you're helping uh, I don't know the data engineering team to know I don't know the project you're working on with another team. and um I think it's super important
0: absolutely, yeah. even if even if you've like I mentioned, never had a conversation with that specific organization, as soon as that person replies to you, as soon as they show interest, you're supporting them. So you're still on that team that's gonna be supporting them as well. So it's a a small difference, but it makes a big difference.
1: Can you talk about the specific examples of an email you sent um, that you want to share with the listeners?
0: There was one particular email with a very developed customer. Um, it actually, it was a LinkedIn message, The very developed customer. And we had generally experienced a lot of pushback because the majority of their engineering, IT, development teams already knew about our product. And so I didn't go in pitching him. I didn't go in um you know, trying to loop him into projects because that wouldn't have worked for that specific customer where they were at in their journey. Um, so what I did is I went in and I simply said, hey, we're setting up educational conversations with folks across your organization to loop them into some of the work that we are doing as well as some of the new things that may be coming out soon and we would love to connect you with our team if you haven't had a one-on-one experience with them what time works best for you. Again, I'm not asking for permission. I understand that I'm providing a service. I'm providing something of value. And I'm going in saying, basically saying, you know, let's get to the know quickly. I don't know if if anybody, you know, who listens to your podcast here has read uh, Never, Split the Di- Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. But, you know, one of the things that he says in his book is get to the know fast, get to the know really quick. I know but that, that person's gonna come to me and they're gonna say, no, there's no need. We're we already use your product. We're good to go. Great. So I'm gonna get to the no quicker. Hey, we're just setting up educational conversations to loop you in. If you haven't had a one-on-one experience, which I knew he hadn't had because obviously I had his information pulled up in, you know, my CRM. Let's get to, let's do this. What time works best for you? Um, he ended up scheduling some time. He was a VP of a very large Fortune 50 company. And he ended up scheduling time on my calendar that day.
1: The educa- educational call that you mentioned, um, are they like a weekly call or is it like with uh, the account executive or what's the, the goal of this call?
0: Yeah, it was with the account executive. Um, and again, I did have something to sell this person, but I didn't want to go in pitching him because I knew that that wasn't going to work. Um, And so what I ended up doing is having a meeting with my account executive and saying, this is where I really think we can develop this very developed customer even more so. Um, Let's go in with this pitch deck. I think this is going to be really valuable based off of some of the initiatives that I've done research on, based off of some of the conversations with end users and lower level people that I hear that they're doing. Um, let's go in this way. And I can guarantee you that we're going to get some type of cross-sell opportunity, which did end up happening.
1: Lauren, we are almost at the end of the the episode. So I have a a few more questions for you. So what's your favorite resource to grow as an SDR?
0: I would say your marketing counterpart. That is my favorite resource, whether it is account-based marketing, whether it is your product marketing team, whatever marketing, person you are connecting with on a regular basis or that you have available to you, grow that relationship. Um, how I like to think of a, a productive sales team is you have your account executive who's in you know, your command tower, who is telling you, this is what we need to do. These are our goals. This is where we need to be by this date. And as an SDR, we're the infantry. So we're on the ground. We're the first you know, point of attack. We're going out there. We're finding the deals. We're figuring out what's going on. We're on the ground having those conversations. But we don't have to be blind in doing that if you know how to properly utilize your marketing counterpart. Your marketing counterpart is your air support. So they're telling you, hey, this is what's around the bend. Hey, this is the direction you should go. Hey, have you talked about this? We're getting a lot of hits on this specific web page. So grow that resource that you have with your marketing counterpart, share your wins with them, um, and share your failures because they are going to be just as invested in getting you to success as you are going to be in getting your account executive as well.
1: What's your favorite tool uh, for prospecting?
0: I would say LinkedIn. Um, I, I hesitate between saying LinkedIn and actually just Google because, again, like I mentioned, I think Google is so underestimated. Um, but I would probably say LinkedIn. You can learn a lot about a person. You can learn about a a lot about a company um, and specifically LinkedIn Sales Navigator. I'm a huge, huge fan of Sales Navigator um, because you can see heightened metrics around a specific account. You can see if they have slowed their hiring. You can see, you know, when their last you know, seed funding actually ended up going through. You can see how many people are in certain a certain hierarchy or a certain position. You can search by a specific, you know, keyword or use a very, you know, targeted Boolean search in order to find who you're looking for um, and spending time on that person's profile and seeing what they have written and not just that current position, but what other positions have they been in. And that will help you inform that conversation if they're just a data scientist, but maybe, you know, they came from a marketing analytics background, there's a chance that they're going to be able to understand and digest information about how marketing analytics affects their role that they're doing now. So I think LinkedIn Sales Navigator for me is probably my my absolute favorite prospecting tool.
1: I'm not sure what's happening. I can't turn, off, I turn on my camera. So um, I think there's something wrong with my laptop. So I think it's fine for... Oh, the no, no. Hi, last question uh, to. Far back. So let me just open my notes, and we are good to, to go. What's the one piece of advice we will give to SDRs uh, to help them improve their results, and one piece of advice they should ignore?
0: The best piece of advice for SDRs to improve their results is. Don't let your business happen to you, happen to your business. And I think that goes back to what we were talking about when I said, you know, there are going to be so many things in sales that you cannot control. If you make a hundred phone calls a day and nobody answers, you're not going to be able to control that, right? We can't control our prospects. We can't control our customers, but we can focus on the things that we can control So lean into that when you're having a rough day, when you're having a rough week, a rough season, a rough quarter, um, and focus on the things that you can learn about your outreach, learn about your accounts, and be the best that you possibly can at what you have in front of you and what you can control. Um, And the biggest thing I would say to ignore is settling. I think you know, the the big thing is it's, okay, I've hit quota. I'm okay. I'm good. Okay, but I think, why did you hit quota? What made you successful? Did you lean in heavier to LinkedIn and maybe it was the summer and maybe that was what made you hit your quota? Um, what was it? You know, uh, maybe this account doesn't have budget right now. Well, I can't touch them. No, don't settle with that. Um, create an urgency, create Create a wave within that account where, to the point where that VP goes to, you know, their boss and says, "I know we don't have budget, but this is something that we need right now." As salespeople, we have the power to do that, and it all comes down to the things that we talked about: building a relationship, establishing credibility, and being able to fill gaps and solutions with solutions that you know people didn't even know existed. That's
1: an excellent point. I think at the end what you mentioned because uh, something I. The, the budget thing, I think also sometimes people, they are so focused on that. And generally, companies or teams are going to f- find budget uh, for, for what you're doing if it's uh, worth uh, serving So um, I think that's a really, really good point.
0: Yeah. If you're coming to them and telling them that you can save them, you know, X amount of thousands of dollars, maybe that means them not making pay cuts. Maybe that means them not, you know, cutting headcount. So don't give up in what you have to offer because it could really make a big difference, not just with that organization, but within a specific industry.
1: Before we end the episode, um, Lauren, uh, do you have anything else you want to add and share with the audience?
0: No, I just kind of what you, you know, what we just touched on, Elric, I think just never settle. Um, Always strive to understand what makes you successful and to understand your results. Don't just settle with the results that you land upon. Um, That'll make you the best salesperson, not just for the teams that you are working with, but into the future as well.
1: Well, thank you so much, Ron, for being on the show today. And thanks uh, for listening to the episode.
0: Thanks so much, Alric. I appreciate it.